Michael. Hey, Diane. It is good to see you. We're in the throes of winter over here where snow and ice are falling, and yet we're kind of getting teased at the same time with these occasional days in the 50s and... But, you know, most exciting of all, perhaps falling COVID case counts are at least plateauing at the moment. So there's the doldrums, but also some optimism mixed in. Michael, I'm not sure how to share my reality with you, um, which is that we are coming off an 80 degree weekend, wow. <laughs> which literally felt like summer, which would be wonderful if not for the looming droughts and wildfires that we are used to in California and that this sort of extreme weather portends. And you know, there's something about that 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 is the type of tension um, there that that is caused by that that is is familiar. <laughs> and as I think about our podcast, it's familiar because as folks who listen to us know, we never thought we would be in season three of this podcast, let alone the third year of schooling impacted by the pandemic. But here we are. Um, and along with those tensions of being in the pandemic that is going on forever, um, we still feel that there's opportunity and hopefulness about the possibility of, of this being a catalyst for transforming our schools. Completely. And as we've embarked on this season, we really focused on trying to answer the big questions of the who, what, where, when, why, and how of schooling. And as listeners will know, we've been following our own curiosity. And I will tell you, there's a topic, Diane, that we visited early on this season that I'm very curious to return to, which is, are teachers quitting? And what do we make of all the stories right now about teacher shortages? Oh, Michael, you're going to have to give me a bit more <laughs> because yeah, I think it's just six episodes that we broke it down, you know, why this teacher shortage is different, how we got here. So I'm, what is what exactly right now is sparking your curiosity? So totally, Diane. And, and I don't want to revisit everything we talked about. But here's what I'm seeing right now. There seem to be two very contradictory storylines out there around whether teachers are leaving the classroom at a higher rate than usual. On the one hand, you have what's become the conventional media narrative, I think, and what I'll call the great resignation storyline. This side says that teachers and school staff more generally aren't falling in line with the great resignation. They're leaving schools, and as a result, schools are really crunched to fill roles. And this storyline has a lot of weight. There are a lot of stories about central administration, staff, and superintendents filling in for missing teachers and such, and surveys of districts reporting big shortages. And I will note, Diane, that I think you were actually the first person to flag this for me before it became a media storyline uh, over the summer because you were seeing teachers quit, and you had open roles in your school for the first time maybe ever. And so you called it way before it became a major media storyline. But on the other hand, at the same time, you have what I'll call the nothing new here storyline. And this one basically says, look, teachers have always quit at higher rates than most sectors. To put some stats behind it, 30% of college graduates who become teachers typically leave the profession within six years. And that ranks as the fifth highest turnover by occupation behind secretaries, childcare workers, paralegals, and correctional officers, and just higher than policing and nursing. And, and this group, Chad Alderman, a researcher of the Edgenomic Labs, uh, Edgenomics Lab, for example, has been prominent among these folks, basically says, look it, the quit rate has held at lower or average rates during the pandemic, but here's the thing. Openings are way outpacing hiring right now, and that's partially thanks to the big infusion of federal funding that's created the opportunity to hire more people. And that's leading to a higher vacancy rate. 
And it's worth noting that Alderman has speculated that this is partially also because of an accumulation of unfilled roles over a couple years, which is really breaking things. And I guess I see this question, Diane, as important for a couple reasons. Because first, as we discussed in episode six, we think the challenges of teacher shortages call it for a bigger redesigning of the educator role, educator training, and schools themselves. And second, depending on your interpretation of the debate, it might change how one would act. And, and finally, I think what we're seeing in this debate is a more civil version, perhaps, of what we often see in education, which is adults in two distinct camps debating something where perhaps there is truth on both sides. So I guess I want to start with a question out of that, Diane, which is, what are you seeing and hearing on the ground, and how does that inform our understanding? Okay, I'm with you. Let's do this. (laughs) Um, uh, Michael, I think you know I don't watch a lot of TV, but between all these big February events, Super Bowl, Olympics, etc., I happen to catch an airline commercial the other day. An airline commercial, I know, okay. Just, yeah, just stay here with me for a moment. The commercial, I kid you not, was about how great and friendly this airline was because they were hiring a lot of former teachers and nurses. And I'm not kidding you, that was the commercial. It was one of those moments where I just had to laugh because if not, I would be crying. And <laughs> my husband was looking at me like, wow. And I think what you're asking me here is why exactly did I want to cry? Because it might not be because the airline is stealing our teachers to do maybe the third worst job on the planet right now. There's maybe more nuance here. So in all seriousness, that's what we're about. We're about the nuance. And so I think you're bringing this back up because the storylines might need to converge in a way that can help us chart a productive path forward versus sort of staying on these two parallel tracks that aren't meeting. So let me get serious and curious and and start with some local experience. So as you noted, um, Summit has had some persistent teaching teacher openings since the start of this year in hard to fill areas. The number of openings and duration do feel unique to some previous years. So I went back to check the data and, you know, yes, there are more openings and they are staying open longer than usual. That is true. And what is familiar is that they are constantly challenge we, we you know we are constantly challenged to find great qualified teachers in hard to fill areas such as special education and math which is where these persistent openings are for us and so as you noted a bit of truth from both of those storylines you know we have had these persistent challenges and openings so it's accumulation of a few years and it feels a little bit more acute this year because they came late in the summer and they're staying open longer and at the same time you know, we we had a science teacher resign recently and we're able to fill that that role mid-year, which is kind of strange and unheard of. And so there there's a possibility that we're over-dialing on the, on the data potentially. But the other thing that's going on is that we have a significant increase in teacher and staff absences this year. And while not the same thing, this is like completely impacting how people are feeling and what they're perceiving. COVID and it's all the related mitigation strategies are driving a lot of those absences. And the reality is we are just seeing everyone in schools taking more personal days for what many describe as mental health reasons. 
there is this palpable and pervasive feeling this year that people are tired and the work is challenging in ways that requires more breaks, <laughs> just like can't do it all day, every day. And so let's circle back to this because my intuition is that all of that is true. And a big part of what is underneath it is a desirable desirability about uh, for flexibility. And so that's interesting. I think the, the, it's also important that we note that perception is reality. And th this is very human. And the perception is that teachers are quitting in droves and that there are a ton of vacancies. And so where does that come from? Well, at one level, on a very, you know, personal experience level, if you're a student who has like, say, five teachers and one of them quits, it feels very confirming. You know, your experience feels like it's playing into this bigger narrative. Similarly, if you're a teacher and one of your colleagues quits, that feels like there's confirmation there. The relationship that you had with that person, the reasons they're giving for quitting, everything you're reading and hearing all come together to create your lived experience that feels like this is indeed the great resignation and a crisis, which may very well feel true in your day-to-day -day life and be true in your day-to-day life, but may not be generalizable to all of education, all of teaching and the long-term. And so I think one of the most important points you raised, Michael, is that the massive inflow of dollars has enabled the creation of all sorts of new positions and roles. And in fact, if you carefully read the storylines about education, often the unfulfilled positions are bus drivers, aides, and other key roles. I'll speak to one in our world, which is um, a really poignant example. Like many people, the demand and need for mental health supports has dramatically, you know, increased. And um, that's a need for both students and adults to have counseling and other support services. Uh, and so the we, but we also have dollars allocated to support these things. And so in our case, we've increased the supports we're offering. We continue to do so to meet the demand. One worry we have is we won't ultimately be able to hire enough supports, but, and we're stretched, but we haven't hit that yet. And yet there is a persistent perception that I hear from members of our community that we aren't serving people and there aren't enough supports. And so I dug into that to understand it because the data wasn't lining up. And so what I discovered so far is that much of the perception is driven by how the process works. So for example, when a person is referred and needs counseling, it often takes a few weeks to get going. Very few of these services, if they're not emergencies, begin, you know, sort of on demand on that day. So people are seeing a counselor, but it, they aren't, you know, it's not for a few weeks. The second piece is they maybe are seeing the counselor, but they aren't feeling better or the problems persist. And so it's an out, it's a dissatisfaction with the outcomes. They're, they're like, well, I'm not getting better. And so I'm not getting the support I need. And so hopefully this is, sorry, clearly you tapped into something because <laughs> hopefully this is the nuance you were looking for when you brought this up. Like we've got to hold all these multiple conflicting realities at the same time. And the data and the lived experience are both important. In, in how we make good decisions going forward. Yeah, so Diane, this all of this lands for me, like literally all of it. And I think what I take out of it is one point that, that also jumps out is, you know, just like as in politics, right? Timing matters. And so, you know, more teachers are out right now than usual, often because of absences. And we tell ourselves stories from that. Our language maybe isn't as precise as it always could be in the media, 
or you know, even they're quitting at strange times, right? In the middle of a year that historically speaking, they might not quit. And so those absences are felt and they disrupt the general routine of schooling. And I think it bleeds into some of my other hypotheses coming at this from more of a 50,000 foot view, if you will. And, you know, first one of them is around my usual caveat, which data by definition, they're backward looking. They only are convincingly so about the distant past. And so we do have to be careful about over relying on stats. Now, stories obviously are very powerful. They tug at us, but it's also dangerous to extrapolate too much from just a few. But I do think individual stories can help us understand the causal mechanisms of what might be driving teachers to leave or feel frustrated and how this moment does differ in some you know, important respects from past moments. Now, you, you said it, like we know there have always been shortages of teachers in certain subject areas. We've talked about this, math, science, special ed, and for certain schools, low income, rural, urban. You know, we discussed last time that the teacher shortages really aren't what people might perceive when they hear the term, that they're far more targeted and specific rather than blanket. But it seems to me that it's possible that at an aggregate level, the data might show that quits are relatively stable, but that's at an average level. And to our friend Todd Rose's language, the data could be very jagged at a more micro level, right? Certain schools and in certain subjects and certain geographies, they could be higher. Whereas in other schools, maybe they're lower right now and writ large across the average in a state or certainly the country, it would mask that. And I think the last piece of that is if the quit rate is just slightly higher in certain areas, that's going to be felt really significantly because as you know better than me, Diane, just a couple holes in your teaching force, like just a couple missing roles or a couple teachers who are out, you know, for chronic reason, maybe over a week or two, that has a huge ripple effect on an individual school and all of the students inside it. Yeah, you, you cannot overstate that last point. And it's so at the heart, I think, of what is going on right now. Um, I'd like to share one level deeper of what I'm seeing that might add even more nuance to what's happening and what we're talking about. Um, so a little bit of context needed here. At Summit, we are you know, deeply committed to not only attracting great talent, but also investing heavily in the development and retention of our amazing folks in our organization. And one part of that is a pretty expansive approach to what we call the annual career matrix survey and conversations. In short, every December, we ask every employee, um, and we get an extraordinarily high rates of participation, upper 90s, 100%, to share their future aspirations and plans with the organization. And the organization does the same. You know, we really try to forecast if there'll be new roles or opportunities and, you know, where people might be able to find a great fit. Um, and, and that's really our focus is that we want people to be in open dialogue about this and finding the great fit. We believe students benefit from that. So as part of that process, we ask everyone if they plan to return the following year, and we do this in December, and give them three options. Yes, no, maybe. Um, as you might imagine, we are able to then compare the data of what they're, you know, you know, predicting is going to happen with what actually happens um, over time in that next school year and see trends. And so I went back to look at the data since um, 2018, and there are significant differences. Uh, there aren't, I should say, significant differences from year to year, which 
honestly was a little bit surprising. Let me say that again. Not significant differences from 2018 to now in the people, the numbers of people saying that they're going to return, maybe not return. And then over those years, the, the actual return rates, um, the, the, the data is holding pretty steady. And in fact, the percent indicating this year that they plan to return versus being unsure is up a bit over last year. Now, last year, people seemed happier, quite frankly, even though we were in virtual school, they didn't, you know, and so like the, the, the narrative and the experience doesn't seem to be matching up with the data. Um, and so I don't, <laughs> I'm sure I'm trying to make sense of this. I, I, it wasn't what I expected, given the conversations and the anecdotes, both internally and externally. And I think specifically the conversation around the sustainability of the role of, of teachers, of school leaders, the absence of or reduction of joy in the role. That is the big conversations that, that are happening. And there's a perception that in other careers and industries, there's more flexibility and more sustainability. Now, I don't know if that's true, but there, there feels to be a perception around that. And so, I don't know what you're going to make of that, Michael, but it's pinging all over for me, like lighting up right now. Um, so I'll jump on that with a few more thoughts or hypotheses from that last observation. But but one of them is not where I expected to go, which is, as you know, I'm got a couple book projects in, in, in the process. And one of them is why do people switch jobs? Like, why do they hire, like, you know, switch careers and what and what's driving them and how can we help them make better choices? And similar to, you know, my book about choosing college or jobs to be done, like there has to be a push, but also a pull on the other side. And so I think what this part of this fueling this is that teachers have or are seeing for the first time that pull. They're seeing opportunities that perhaps they didn't perceive historically that they had, which is a point you've made many times. You know, sometimes their sense of what their job is and how they do it, have to do it. You know, can they do it virtually? Can Do they need to be in person, for example? Those things have changed. And I think there's a couple other things that are exacerbating this, which is, you know, maybe the quit rate is somewhat stable, but we do know that it's a lot harder to hire new teachers right now. That's not new per se. It's a historical trend. Like from 2006 to 2019, the number of education degrees conferred fell by 22%. And the evidence suggests that this has continued to go down since COVID. We also know that substitutes are in short supply. There's data behind that. And so I think I, from my perspective, I guess, Diane, this all comes together as a perfect storm where you know, maybe you're not seeing it in your data, but there still could be a bit bigger resignation ahead. And it's not clear that everything is materialized yet or been counted given the challenges and timing and, you know, these lagging statistics ultimately. And I, I guess that speaks to one last thing that I think is getting muddled. And you said this as well, which is that some of the noise fueling the stories isn't about teachers. It's about the bus drivers, the staff, the administrators, you know, you said mental health professionals, right? Nurses, et cetera, that are creating other shortages, which frankly just creates more stress in schools yeah. and schools are dealing with a lot of stress right now. And I think that's, the, a lot of the stories are more reflective of that than any like deep macro trend one way or the other. And so I, I, I guess I want to end coming back to our so what, <laughs> Because we talked a lot last time about how the teacher role should be redefined. We talked about, 
you know, thinking about joy is different from the absence of dissatisfaction and pulling these things apart. But in your school where you've created a lot of motivators, a lot of things that bring joy, how are you thinking about these challenges on a more micro level? If, if indeed this is where these specific shortages are playing out and I guess more specifically, what can an individual school leader or maybe even a parent learn from that? Well, Michael, that's a good question because all of this doesn't matter if we're not doing something with it. And so um, I think one of the ways, I think a good example of how we're thinking about this is we're trying to strike the balance of using the data in very targeted and specific ways. And so let me give you um, an example. One of our teaching roles specifically in our expeditions program is harder to attract and retain people. And the data is just really clear about that. Um, It's been showing that trend for a little while. Expeditions is a really foundational part of our model. And so it's critical that we figure out how to be um, how you know we can provide this perspective changing experience for our students that they have come to love and expect and make it fulfilling and sustainable for teachers. And so, you know, kind of armed with the expansive data from all groups, we've embarked on a two-year redesign process that really is seeking to rethink roles, experiences, and design in ways that we believe will be attentive to the needs of ed- educators while at the same time centering the needs of students. Um, I know that's kind of broad, but th- that's the idea is that getting really sort of st- um, surgical and targeted and not thinking we have to redo everything, but like focus on the place where the data is really popping. And I think, um, that highlights the fact that, Michael, these are not easy problems. All the easy problems in the world have been solved, in my view. (laughs) We are left with the hard ones. And so, in short, teaching as we've defined it does not provide a lot of flexibility, which is one of the number one things people want from their professional experience right now and maybe into the future. I don't think any of us know if that's gonna hold. And so it's going to take some serious ingenuity and creativity to figure out how to make the role more flexible while still serving students and operating in an ever complex and demanding setting that are our schools, which of course is a callback to our previous conversation where we talked about sort of the never ending layering of demands that make this super difficult and at the same time, an opportunity and really pressing. So, you know, we, we often end here, flexibility and an end to one size fits all. It's a theme for us. There's no doubt about it, but I think it's a good place to leave it because I always learn something more from our conversations about what that really means and has to look like. So let's, let's uh, wrap up with a final word on what we're reading or learning or exploring or, or just being entertained right now. And we'll start with you, Diane. What's on your list? All right. Well, I'm not sure if you remember, but I kicked off this season, season three, by sharing I was reading The Tyranny of Merit by Michael Sandel. Well, I'm back to meritocracy, Michael. This time I'm coming at it from a historical perspective versus a philosophical in um, the, the book by Adrian Wooldridge called The Aristocracy of Talent, How Meritocracy Made the Modern World. I know these titles are confusing. They just like move the words around. But all I'm going to say is I need to talk to you about these ideas. <laughs> They're is a lot here. I'm clearly continue to be drawn to it. It's all education related. I think it really taps into so many of the different 
controversies and dialogues we're having. And I'm just really curious to have this conversation with you. Well, I'm excited to have that conversation and perhaps do it as part of a podcast so we can all benefit and learn. And and maybe I'll stay a little bit on topic for mine. I know I'm not supposed to do something necessarily related to education here, Diane, but, but I just have to because I actually considered using this little tidbit for my opener. But here's here 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 it is i actually got to go to an actual school today an actual school oh visit and as you know diane <laughs> before the pandemic i traveled a lot and got to see schools all over the country and even the world and i haven't been able to do that since the pandemic started which has felt really frustrating and and yet today i i got to actually go into a school a jewish day school nearby led by a very innovative leader who you know dahlia hockman uh, who's done work for summit uh, and it was so uplifting and refreshing and exciting to be in a school with such thoughtful students and educators again, it really made me hopeful and optimistic for the sorts of conversations that they were very casually having in the hallways about what school could be. And so with that, I think we'll leave it there and thank you all for joining us on Class Disrupted. Disrupted.